What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Let's kick this thing off. Jessica Vaughn is a former Playboy Playmate who has reinvented herself as a talented photographer. She also has become a staunch proponent of Bitcoin over the last few months. In this conversation, we discuss her career as a Playboy Playmate, her professional reinvention, independent thinking, the Federal Reserve, Bitcoin as freedom, the legacy system, and meme masters. I really enjoyed this conversation with Jessica, and I think you will as well. Before we get into the episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. First up is remote.com. In 2021, every business is a global business. But how do you pay your global team and comply with international labor laws? Remote handles payroll, benefits, taxes, and compliance to help companies of all sizes pay and manage full-time and contract workers all over the world. No matter where your team lives and works, Remote's global employment solutions keep your team, your finances, and your intellectual property secure. Remote never charges percentages or fees, just best-in-class global employment solutions for a low, flat rate. The world's top global companies love Remote. GitLab, the world's largest all-remote organization, trusts Remote to manage their global team. And so should you. Remote is funded by Index Ventures, Sequoia Capital, and a host of other top-tier investors. Learn more about Remote and their new Remote for Startups program at remote.com. I've had the CEO, Job, on the podcast, and I highly, highly suggest if you have a global team, go to remote.com. It is a no-brainer, in my opinion, remote.com. Next up is BlockFi. BlockFi provides financial products for crypto investors. Those products include a high-yield interest account where you can earn up to 8.6% APY, a U.S. dollar loan product where they give you a U.S. dollar loan against your crypto collateral, and a no-fee cryptocurrency trading where you can buy and sell things like Bitcoin, Ether, and many other cryptocurrencies. They also are coming out with a Bitcoin rewards credit card. It's a normal credit card, but you get paid Bitcoin back rather than cash back or airline miles. Go check out BlockFi. I'm an investor. I sit on the board and I am a happy user. You will be too. To start earning today, visit BlockFi.com slash POMP. Again, BlockFi.com slash POMP. Last but not least is Choice. Choice is rebuilding the way you approach retirement, which starts with making it simple to include Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies in your savings. More than 20,000 Bitcoiners, myself included, have already signed up to start investing. Whether we are talking about crypto or stocks, Choice lets you trade real Bitcoin and Tesla in the same place, all without paying a dime in capital gains taxes. And if you want to hold your own keys all the way to the moon, you can do that too. Either way, Choice is on a mission to give you full control over your retirement savings. So head on over to retirewithchoice.com slash pomp. Again, that's retirewithchoice.com slash pomp and sign up for an account today. And one more thing, you know how I feel about this, but if you have a pro that manages your money, don't take any BS. Choice has tools for them too. Take back control today and visit retirewithchoice.com slash pomp. Retirewithchoice.com slash pomp. All right, let's get into this episode with Jessica. I hope you enjoy this one. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. 
This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys, bang, bang. I've got Jessica here with me. Uh, she has never been on Zoom before, so we're going to give this a try. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for giving me a reason to download it. I was kind of resistive, but uh, I couldn't I couldn't deny your invite. So here I am. You uh, you have a very different background than almost anybody else I've ever had on the podcast. Let's start just with where did where were you born? Where did you grow up and how did you get into modeling? Uh, photography, et cetera? Um, well, I'm from Kansas. So I did 20 years of hard winter and decided I didn't want snow anymore. So graduated college after uh, doing my undergraduate, moved away, did the Hollywood uh, dream thing. So lots of photo shoots, lots of production. I'm a photographer now, but um, moved out here to do modeling, hair and makeup, just, you know, the Hollywood thing. So when you say the Hollywood thing, how exactly does this work? I think people are fascinated with, uh, if you go to Hollywood and uh, you talk to every waiter, waitress, uh, bar hop, et cetera, like everyone's trying to break into acting, modeling, uh, or some aspect of that. Like, how did you break into that industry? And like, what is that life like? Well, um, no two days are ever the same, which is a part of the fun of it, I guess, the appeal. So um, we did it's hard because it, it's already been uh, a year that I haven't had my normal life. So it's sort of bittersweet to think back to all the great things about it um, that aren't afforded to us right now. So um, it was a lot of castings, a lot of media events, a lot of production days that were long. And I, I do all kinds of things. So it was just fun to squeeze in on production however I could. And I started doing uh, sports media for combat sports and that was really fun. So I just sort of could squeeze in wherever my interest led me. So that was a cool thing about the opportunities in Hollywood. All right, so let's separate these out. Let's first talk about the modeling uh, part of it. Um, what is that like on a day-to-day -day basis? So forget it, kind of the other aspects of what you would do. Like just from a modeling standpoint, is it you show up to a shoot and literally it's like six hours and they just take pictures of you the whole time? Is that weird? Um, it was weird for a couple of years. I traveled around the country and I would just fund, self-fund my tour across America and shooting. And um, the world was just different when I started in 2008. So um, once I parked it in L.A., Sure, it's a little more, uh, this is a little more structured, but you build a network and then you start doing projects with people that you're comfortable with creating and um, you start just cross promoting each other. And so I really work with the same core group of people a lot of the times and we just diversify and pull each other in on projects we're doing. So, so you mentioned being comfortable with the people that you work with. Uh, if somebody asked me to go and, uh, and be a model, I would have all of my clothes on and probably it would be the least eventful uh, photo shoot in the world. Uh, you by your wife. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, my, my wife would actually be the one directing it, et cetera. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and she probably would be telling me I'm an idiot uh, for even trying anything like that. But, uh, <laughs> She's the, a good cheerleader for you. <laughs> I watch exactly. Lunch Money, I know. Well, if you watch Lunch Money, then you already know exactly how uh, how that would go down. I pretty much would, uh, would do... Uh, nothing that I wanted to do. 
but in, in terms of uh, the modeling that you did, a lot of it when you're going across the country was unstructured, it sounds like. Then you get to LA, it's a lot more structured. You're talking about like kind of being comfortable. You eventually end up uh, doing a bunch of modeling with Playboy and, and all that. Like, how do you get comfortable with people? Is it weird? Like, that's just such a foreign concept to 95, 99% of people. Like, what is that like? Well, it's been so long since I had to think about it that it's that it's uh, hard to articulate it, and because pretty much my existing network is all people that are already in it, so I, I guess I never make that um, that explanation. It's not unlike anything else when you do it. I mean, you know, when you somebody goes to war, they just get used to the things that come with that. So this was just a different kind of war, a different battle, you know, normalizing some things, and so. Um, I don't know. It's it's hard to think back to it. I I just accepted that that was the path I picked to have the ticket out of my hometown. So after graduating college, I just decided to go model, which is strange, but you yeah. Know. Hey, well, one of the things that's fascinating about this is uh, as a ticket out of your hometown, if you decide, okay, I'm going to go do this. What's the reaction from your family, from friends you went to college with? Is it one of uh, support is it something that's so outside of their like framework of a job that they uh, are jealous they're uh, agnostic to it like what was that well i didn't ask anybody's permission i didn't require anybody's support and um if you're not a person that requires those things then you can break free of the mold that's made for you so i didn't want to stay in kansas and i didn't want to do that um now with the, the city having changed some, I can see the appeal of that a little more than I would before the shutdown. So, um, but I feel like people have to get it out of their system. If they wanna go and do something, you've gotta go check it out because otherwise you'll just wonder. Yeah. So, it's, uh, my my uh, true friends, my true support system, they didn't care. They, now, they didn't bring it up all the time. They didn't want to hear stories. They don't go like my pictures, that type of thing, which is fine. That's not what I needed from my real world friends. You can always make a digital community that supports you and what you create. So, yeah, that's that's it's there's been a, a bit of a divide. I come from a, a pretty conservative background. My parents weren't too thrilled, but we just didn't make it a big talking point. They were just happy I made it to 18. All good. So. Coming from a conservative family and then ended up in Playboy, I'm sure was uh, was a challenge to navigate. But uh, it sounds yes. like you figured it out. Uh, well, talking about the, go ahead. Well, now I'm navigating the opposite terrain, having been a Playboy in Hollywood, you know that type of thing, and then and then changing politically to more center right. That comes with its own uphill battle that was reminiscent of coming from a conservative family in a red state and then going off and you know, posing naked, that type of thing. So it's we'll, a similar we'll, experience. It's parallel. We'll get to your second uh, transition here in a second. But uh, the Playboy experience, I am sure that uh, if you get into modeling, it is uh, almost like the pinnacle. I almost look at it like uh, if you play basketball, you want to play in the NBA. If you play football, you want to play in the NFL. As a model, that seems like that is uh, kind of the aspirational uh, achievement what was that like? Uh, any regrets, positives, negatives? Just how do you kind of view that now that uh, you, you don't spend all of your time doing it? 
I just accepted it as the terms of modeling that it was no, even supermodels don't get out of the game without posing naked in some capacity. So that part wasn't ever really a concern for me. In fact, if you're going to do it, you may as well go all in. So I looked at people like Jenny McCarthy and, and, you know, um, Melania Trump and people like that. It's, it's like, you can, of course, pose for Playboy and then move beyond it into whatever domain you want. And it's a good launching platform. So everybody has to come from somewhere. It's fascinating to me to think about, uh, and and I don't even know if you realize this, like the thought process that uh, even the supermodel ends up uh, modeling naked at some point, uh, but people being able to transition past, like you mentioned, uh, when it's coming up, are you nervous? Are you uh, worried at all? Do you think about like, oh, my friends, my family, et cetera, here's what they're going to think? Or is it from a political or a uh, professional standpoint, uh, it is the epitome and kind of that achievement. And so you're more focused on this professional goal and everything else you're like, hey, I'll figure it out as, uh, as it comes. Well, I wanted to um, do the commercial aspects of posing for magazines like Playboy and FHM. And there was a whole series of, of, other, uh, of other magazines. But I, I just wanted to do that to legitimize the fact that for two years I had already been modeling. So I had already done sexy photo shoots and lingerie and all that. So I, I guess I just wanted to commercially validate my endeavor. So and it was good for marketing after the fact, because then yeah. other brands want to use you in that how that whole thing ascends. So this sounds nuts, but as I hear you talking, uh, you're basically describing what now everyone is like yelling and screaming all excited about. It's like the creator economy, right? It's these people who, yeah. uh, they build some large audience and then they're able to monetize it afterwards. Really what you're talking about almost, you know, a decade, decade and a half ago is, uh, as you're coming up in the modeling world, you end up getting into Playboy. That's like a stamp of approval or a validation of uh, that career. And then you're able to launch that into other business endeavors. Is that kind of a fair comparison? Exactly. And everybody wants to put somebody else in, you know, a bottle, a container that they can understand. And, and it's been, it's been so long that now I've been interested in so many other things that I feel like I've shattered that mold enough, but I still go to the well enough to support the fact that that's why people follow me. But it's, it's been really great to just grow an audience and then whoever wants to stick around for the conversation can, or, you know, if not, I'll still still push the pictures and that type of thing. So I, I know why people came, but that isn't necessarily why they stayed. So, but uh, yeah. no, I appreciate the fact that it's been, it's it, that I got a little bit of head start on the game. Um, the only bad side about coming from doing it before the creator economy was, is that I didn't necessarily see the um, market potential for some of these things. Cause I had been so used to just giving away my product on online, just to build a community around because we weren't, um, really community building in 2008 so much. I mean, I was just yeah. in artist communities growing in that space. Just there was, it, there was social media networks that were just for models and photographers to connect so we could create in our own little world instead of things that were so wide open like Instagram for everybody to consume. So, yeah, it, it's fascinating to me that, uh, you know, if you had almost done that today uh, in one uh, viewpoint, uh, it's almost taboo at this point, right? It seems like there's a lot more uh, social pressures and, and the way that uh, some of those activities and, and uh, publications, et cetera, are viewed is very different than it was a decade or 15 years ago. At the same time, uh, you being the model actually in the content 
uh, there's way more tools available for you to actually build an audience, catch the audience, monetize the audience. And so yeah. uh, it, it just and they don't like see it very, coming. And they don't see it coming. Explain that. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, some people are just taken by surprise, I guess, my diverse interest. But everybody is always, a, everybody has a whole universe inside them. And obviously, everybody has potential to grow and find new interests. So um, it's fun to just sneak up on people and pop some stuff in like people are often surprised that uh, you know I'm a mixed martial artist fan yeah and, and so I guess from the publication side uh are they in trouble with things like OnlyFans or streaming platforms or uh the ability for whether it's models or other kind of content creators to go direct to audiences or is there still some kind of moat that they have in terms of that stamp of approval right if there's people who want to be in modeling today do they still want to go and, uh, and be featured in Playboy, or do they just say, hey, I don't even need that. I can just go direct to an audience and monetize it that way. Like, what do you see happening there? I think that it's still a novelty to be associated with brands, but also the brands that um, are leveraging models or online personalities has opened up so much. Um, you know, makeup mm -hmm. campaigns for just beauty bloggers because of their wide audience and the reach that they have. So, um, it, the power has just shifted to creators and that's a really nice thing because we can validate with stats the reach that we're going to have for a company to um, choose us as opposed to somebody, one of the other, you know, 90 people that are just like us, but maybe better. Yeah. So if I talk to you in 2008, to like maybe the early 2010s and I said, what do you do for a living? How would you have described it? Would you have said, I'm a model, uh, I'm a playmate? Like, what, what would you have described then? And knowing that it's probably changed, but how did, how did you originally think of it? Um, well, I would uh, sit for artists and sculptors and painters and photographers mostly, and they would work from those images that we would make. But um, the community was just, was just small. I mean, I was a starving artist for a long time. So it's nice to not be that so much these days. Uh, but yeah. yeah. And, and so if we fast forward to today, uh, I think that you have tapped into many other different audiences. And it sounds like a lot of those audiences are coming out of your personal interests, right? So we can start with MMA and then there's Bitcoin and, um, and now even, uh, you know, kind of broader macroeconomics and, and government. But MMA seems to be the first thing that you kind of transition to or, or sort of talk about outside of the arts or, or the creative work. Where does that interest come from? And like, how did you uh, navigate that transition? Was it something that was very strategic and thoughtful or did one day you just start tweeting about MMA and said, hey, look, you know, I don't care what people think. Um, well, I would watch the fights with a friend, a Playboy photographer, kind of funny. Um, but um, yeah, I, I just watched, really loved it. Got enamored with the game. You start investing in uh, individual sports are so much different than, than uh, team sports because you get to know the players so much more intimately and they do a pretty good job of um, brand building the individuals. So especially with social media. And so you become more engaged in their game, I guess. So um, I just love it. I fell in love with it. I don't really know what to say other than that, but this space was so wide open, especially when I started to shoot pictures because then I was getting ringside access and cage side opportunities to shoot for amateur and um, some professional uh, leagues. So, yeah, it was fun. So I, I just saw the opportunity. I've done the red carpet run roll camera for, you know, UFC Hall of Fame and 
just these interviews and media days the day before that they, you know, when they do their weigh-ins and stuff. So um, it was just an opportunity to go leverage my modeling, but then contribute in a different kind of way. And I just loved the scene and it was different. And um, I relate to fighters and their stories and um, overcoming obstacles in the journey and seeing the hard work. Like I find them so inspiring because we're all, yeah. we're all fighting for something. What, what are you fighting for? Oh, well, such a big idea, right? Um, you have to, I um, am, am shattering the mold that was made for me as, you know, a little farm girl in Kansas that was never supposed to leave and get out and certainly not get to um, break, break the need to have a job and people to uh, have to please all the time. Like I, I speak my mind and I say exactly what I mean probably too, too far of a degree because I don't have really any accountability in that way, but that's what freedom is to me. So I guess the, what I'm fighting for is building something where nobody can take that from me in a world where people are constantly seeking to invalidate your humanity for not having a mainstream opinion and perspective on things. And so when you think about the transition uh, around MMA, some of that was personal interest. You enjoyed watching, you enjoyed talking about it. Uh, but you also had somewhat of a career change there, it sounds like. You went from being the subject of the photography to actually being the photographer in many cases, or you were capturing the content. Was that um, anything kind of driving that? Or was it just you were familiar with cameras and had one and wanted to start taking pictures? Like, what drove that transition? I found that I had all this access and I picked up a camera to not waste the access that I had. So that worked with MMA because I was just, I was just getting such um, positive results and access to fighters and making friends with journalists. And uh, they were just people I wanted to be around. And I, like I said, I find the fighter stories so just inspiring. Um, so it was a way to enhance my hobby and also it gave me a reason to find a new way to be a creator. So I picked up a camera because I didn't want to waste the opportunity, fumbled my way through it. Nobody seemed to even notice I was fumbling my way through the beginnings of it. So um, it is just one, I just, I, I had time to do it and I always love new challenges and being able to um, just absorb information. So it just, it was just something that I, I felt like doing. And so I did it and that's the, that's been the best thing that modeling has afforded me in this lifestyle is, is that I can go all in on anything I'm interested in. So uh, I'm noticing a trend here, which it sounds like basically you said, hey, as a Playboy Playmate, I can get my foot in the door. When I get my foot in the door, I have this incredible access. And in a yeah. very opportunistic way, you knew that if you had your foot in the door, had access, and you brought a camera with you, you could almost launch an entirely new career and not break the mold from going from Kansas to LA, but also break the mold from being the playboy model to now being uh, somebody who's actually creating the content in the photographer. Is that fair? That's very fair. Yeah. Okay. And it can, and it just, it keeps opening my world up so much. So if, if you're bringing value to other people, then they'll open doors for you too. So yep. it's been nice because it feels, the world feels so big and wide open. Okay, so this is fascinating because uh, it sounds like you had this second career, if you will, that was taking off. COVID happens. 
Uh, everyone's ordered to go sit in their houses. Pretty much everything that you had done up until that point was destroyed, right? There's no photo yeah. shoots, whether you're right. in front of the camera or behind the camera, like it all just goes to zero. What's your reaction when that occurs? How do you think about it? Um, and, uh, and what did you do? Well, um, I had what is commonly called a red pilled moment. So it gave me the opportunity to question everything I thought I believed. And that's quite the uh, paradigm shift. It, it happens suddenly, but, but incrementally. Um, but I had something traumatic, you know, with the shutdown happens because, because all of my income was gig economy and, um, you know, freelance finding my, finding my way and, I did so many things, but there has to be international travel and there has to be live events and there has to be that ecosystem to support, you know, free market opportunities. Um, so all, all like suddenly all my income turned off because I'm done the internet monetization or anything like that. I was just happily enjoying my life. And then all of a sudden it came to a screeching halt and then they started doing things like turning people's power and water off if they were gathering in their homes and all these just things that made me really need to go look at what I thought about size of government and those types of things. Okay, so before we get into the, uh, the finance and government side, uh, let's just talk about from like a business perspective. Okay. You've got a great business, multiple streams of income, everything's going awesome, COVID happens income goes to zero, what do you do? Do you try to just scramble and figure out online and uh, like other types of revenue channels? What did you, how did you kind of navigate? Well, it was tough. At least I had, I had some savings from the years. So I burned through that in about six months. And I was astonished that we weren't over this yet. So, um, I was angry, you know, it's hard to not be. And so when you think about like that anger, is that coming from, uh, you're angry that there's the shutdown, you're angry at yourself that you had everything kind of in the analog world, like what was driving that anger? Well, I, I was always aware that anything could come bring my freelancing to a, a screeching halt, but it was never supposed to be government. It was never, they were never supposed to create problems for me. Um, but I was always aware that there was no, there was no safety net for me because that was the exchange that I had made. You know, I wasn't, you know, talk about risk aversion and things like that. I, I'm not a person that's particularly afraid of those things because they're always there. So then when I saw everybody's reaction to, you know, this, the virus, it, it, it was uh, recalibrating of everything I thought that was happening around me. And so as this plays out, uh, you said you had kind of this red pill moment. What were the things that maybe um, were antithetical to what you previously believed or the uh, changes in opinion that you had as, uh, as this all played out? Well, uh, size of government and their ability to um, the whole emergency powers and being able to just make decisions for you. Um, uh, the transparency of the media brought that into question. Um, the amount of coordination between 
nations to just wave your hand and shut down the world. That was kind of astonishing to me. Um, there were things that I had always heard conservatives say, but I just hadn't had an opportunity to see it in the world to really point at that thing and say, this is what you know, over-regulation looks like. I'd heard people say that, but I didn't really know what that meant. Um, and is, it fair, is it fair to say that, uh, and this is a huge overgeneralization, so correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, I think Los Angeles and kind of Southern California is generally seen as uh, a very liberal leaning uh, type of uh, geographic region. Uh, people, for the most part, it seems like we're, hey, the government is gonna save us. The government is, uh, has the right solutions. The government is gonna step in here. Uh, and so this red pilling that you went through almost kind of went counterfactual to or uh, was a narrative violation to those around you, right? It seems like it's almost like, well, the majority of people felt one way, you started to, again, break the mold and, and yes. think for yourself to some degree, right? Yes. And that's frowned upon. Which, explain why, why, why is it frowned upon? Well, it's frowned upon because um, they don't. Would, would prefer that you not challenge any of those beliefs um, because it leads other people to doing the same. And I didn't know that disagreeing was going to cause me to lose um, opportunities and friends, even family members, that type of thing. But um, it will. And that's I feel like that's um, contrary to the entire concept of freedom of speech and freedom of opinion and you know diversity of thought and um that opened my eyes to to a lot and the problems with mob mentality cancel culture it just opened up a door to everything because if you agree with things like the shutdown then they the left just turns its back on you entirely and it just eats itself in that way. So I guess I'm just a product of the fact that I had an, a, a disagreeing opinion for shutting the economy down locally. And um, then people make me the bad guy in that situation, which is crazy because I have no institutional powers whatsoever. What does it really matter what I say or think? When so. you say uh, people make you the bad guy, uh, is this more like industry friends and, uh, and kind of forces or more of like the social media world uh, and people you know, being toxic or whatever online? Well, you can always minimize the latter by not talking about it a lot, but it was all I was thinking about. So, and I was, I was having my own journey. It was more like a public, um, uh, an opportunity for me to digest what was happening and my evolution, it was just publicly happening because a lot of it was the, the ideas and the arguments were coming from you know, online. But yeah, I changed my entire media sources and um, the people I followed and engaged with. And yeah, it was really recalibrating. Um, I'll, and you can never and you can never undo it. What, you know, what, was the, uh, what, what was the most surprising part of all of this? And, and I asked that as um, uh, I think that there's some people who had a starting point uh, that was like halfway down the, the red pilling uh, pathway, and then this mm -hmm. all exasperated it. But you yeah. strike me as somebody who uh, went through the full experience, right, from kind of start to finish yes. um, yeah. during this. And so what was the most surprising uh, thing uh, that you kind of took away from, from that experience? Oh, 
other other people's unwillingness to let you change and be fine with it because everybody has this little characterization of who who you are they're not actually able to really roll with the fact that you're going to evolve because usually evolution is slow but this happened rather aggressively i mean i can benchmark it from a one-year point so i sound different every all my interests are different my perspectives of history i had to relearn everything i ever believed historically you know so when, when people hear that uh there's two schools of thought uh, the people who agree with you are going to say, uh, amazing, she uh, you know, was taught one thing, she thought one way, that's the incorrect way of thinking, and now she's seen the light, and look how smart she is because she agrees with you know, what we agree with. The people who disagree with the way you think now uh, say, oh my God, she changed her information sources, she created an echo chamber, what an idiot, like... You know that's the problem in America, and uh, we've got to prevent that from happening to the masses, right? Uh, I always laugh. Uh, I'm literally laughing as I ask you the question because it feels like those two extremes uh, obviously provide like the truth somewhere in between there. And so, like, walk us through from like a, almost like an execution or application standpoint of like when you say you change your information sources, like what were they? What did you change them to? Uh, what were the types of people that you started to consume content from that you hadn't been from before? Uh, just what, whatever you can share on that um, front. Well, I wouldn't want to risk getting your video demonetized or get you in trouble. So I'm, I'm trying to edit myself to a-, a You can say, point. listen, you, you can say whatever you want to say. Don't worry about the uh, uh, monetization on YouTube, which by the way, the fact that that's the first thing you think of uh, may be part of the problem. Well, um, I, you know, and I'm not a YouTuber and I don't rely on that, but, or any, I don't rely on brand endorsements or, or any of that. That was one great thing that made me have, um, be in the right situation where I could speak my mind and, and I realize how many people can't or aren't allowed to. People will message me and say, Hey, I agree with your politics, but I'm afraid I work in Hollywood and you know, that won't go well. And, so it, it, was, it was just really surprising to me, the amount of people that want to, but can't. And, and then I saw that phenomenon and I was like, well, it means I need to speak even more. So that brings us to uh, the topic that everyone is wondering, which is Bitcoin. Uh, how the yeah. hell did you come across Bitcoin and why did you become interested? Um, well, I had learned about it just from observing. I've had friends that are into it and they'll make posts and I would read it. Um, but I didn't understand then I didn't have a necessity for it until the shutdown came and, and then the stimulus has started happening. And then you learn about the fed and you can't audit it and you know, all these things. And, and like I said, all this happened to me in a year, the evolution of all of this, because I couldn't have cared less about finance. So I had to learn a lot really fast, um, but I had nothing to do. So that was the upside since Los <laughs> Angeles was shut down. I had nothing but time and new resources that educated. So um, now I see the necessity of it, how you get there, just wanting money that they can't ruin. I, I mean, I don't, I'm not somebody that's amassed a lot of uh, uh, private property 
you know, I have a, a Ford and a French bulldog. It's, it's not like I have a lot of value to, to protect or, you know, transition my assets or something, but it was just the principles, like the fact that people can wave their hand and stop the world and, and destroy people's ability to make a living and they can wave their hand and change, you know, the, um, geopolitics of what's happening in other countries and and then they can actively dilute the dollar that's in your bank account that you've already worked for the and renegotiate essentially renegotiate the the wage you worked for in the retroactively that seems so crazy to me you Any, uh you you definitely were not red pilled you were orange pilled because uh, okay. you're you're, yeah. you're speaking the language uh in, in terms of um this kind of learning journey, right? And, and it really does sound like you uh, kind of went through an evolution of understanding and, uh, and, and frankly, kudos to you because it sounds like you were actually very thoughtful, not only of understanding uh, what's happening right now, but you went back in history and, and started to understand why have certain things uh, happened and, and created the situation that we're in today. Um, why talk about it publicly, right? Because you could have said, hey, you know what? I've got a bunch of free time. I'm going to educate myself. Okay, cool. Now I'm educated. Uh, you know what? I think I should buy some Bitcoin. Uh, I think I should change my thoughts. And uh, you could have done that all in private with no risk to your career or anything else. Yeah. But you chose well, to talk about it and talk about it quite a bit. So like, why, why do that? Well, I didn't know where it was heading. Just publicly discussing the shutdown when it all happened. Obviously, everybody was talking about it for, for the most part. Um, but I didn't know necessarily one thing would lead to another like it would. And then you find yourself in your in the next discovery and understanding of what's going on leads you to the next step. Like it took me uh, a, a year of the process before I bought Bitcoin, which was what, like two weeks ago? Wasn't even that long ago. So that I mean, thought it just takes a while for thought to get you to action. And I was just ready to ease the depressed because I was depressed about the political landscape and and um, the uh, social engineering I was witnessing. Uh, and, and I guess the more I witnessed and was a, became aware of those things, the more I felt compelled that I had to say these things that other people weren't going to say, or at least not people in my little domain of the internet. So, um, but like I said, a lot of it, a lot of my understanding came from those online discussions. Yeah. So as many it, people, it, go ahead. Well, I should say it's fascinating to hear you kind of talk about how impactful uh, the online education, the information was to that journey. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Thank, it, thank goodness. Thank goodness for YouTube educators and people who want to give away what they know, like yourself, because I, I don't think I would have always connected the two. I, I just had an existential crisis with what's happening in my country and specifically my state. And then to, you know, have witnessed places like Texas and Florida fully functioning. And I was like, I want that kind of leadership. Uh, why can't, you know, and then everything that descended from that, I guess, just led me to Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, you, you've described it almost as a parallel economy, right? Kind of the digital uh, world and digital currencies and uh, these open protocols. Uh, how do you look at earning moving forward? Is it something where the work that you do, uh, you'll ask to be paid, uh, in Bitcoin or other uh, digital currencies, will you basically take a portion of what you get paid and convert it? Like, 
does anything change or is it more just an awareness of, hey, there's kind of these two economies that are parallel uh, and you'll exist in both of them, but it won't necessarily change anything from a work perspective? Well, I, I started the daydream of two parallel economies um, because I wanted to be free of things like cancel culture and I wanted to, you know, go and and um, you know, Gina Carino and make sure that she had a job, even though she now can't have a job with Disney and, 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 and Candace Owens and people like that, that just get accosted online and their, and their opportunities removed for nothing other than their opinions. So I wanted to, I wanted to go back to the land of where we were fine with having diversity of thought. So I just wanted to go participate with people that wouldn't financially consequent each other in this way. Um, but it's so new to me. I've had Bitcoin for, for two weeks. So it's sort of hard for me to have amassed the understanding of how it is that I could possibly earn in Bitcoin, but it's just the willingness and it certainly signals some confidence in it. And it's probably going to present new opportunities. I don't even know how you can necessarily earn in crypto yet. So, um, but I'm willing and just being willing is going to, um, bring opportunity. I'm sure. Yeah, you you, you are very open minded. So uh, I congratulate you on that because that is a, a rare skill in today's world. Um, what has the response been uh, among other people in the various communities that uh, that you've worked in and, and you have friends in? Uh, as you've uh, kind of talked about more of this publicly, you bought Bitcoin, etc. Is it been one that has been receptive? Uh, is it one that is uh, a little bit more um, kind of uh, abrasive, or uh, or they have have they been agnostic? Uh, to some of those? Um, well, um, a couple of my friends already were Bitcoin holders. So, and now I don't really deal with people that, because I'm so public about my, I just assume people know that about me now. So um, I've been creating with, during the shutdown, It's it's been less opportunity for growth, but it's made it to where you can have small productions with just the people that you know and that you're comfortable with and that are all on the same page with some things. Otherwise you have serious disagreements about what, how it's safe to operate your space and those sorts of things. So um, my, the people that I consider my friends today, cause it's changed a little bit. I may have just deepened ties with people who were already, you know, um, right of center. So they're, they're, so they believe it and they, and they, but they don't need me to have to adopt all their beliefs. They don't have to buy Bitcoin themselves to be fine and never bring it up if they think it's dumb. They're, you know, some people that aren't really all that into it are like, just don't invest more than you can afford to lose. And that's a fair thing to say. But if the government's going to make me take their money, you know, I may as well do something with it. I feel like it's a fun, uh, harmless way to do something productive with free stimulus money the government is giving me that I don't <laughs> even want, you know, it's just, I don't know. It makes me smile a little bit in the, you know, in the quiet moments. Yeah. It, it, uh, it's fascinating to me. Uh, one more thing before I get into the rapid fire questions is uh, I, uh, I saw this, uh, you tweeted and I couldn't stop laughing when I read it. Uh, you said that you thought the MMA community were uh, really great at memes, but the Bitcoiners are the meme masters. Uh, explain yeah. that a little bit more, because uh, that that is a uh, a topic I 
really, really think people underestimate of like the meme is the message. But uh, but talk a little bit about the memes and uh, Bitcoin. Yeah. And- yes. Well, that is um, what familiarized me with the fact that there was a whole secret language and certain ways of spelling things and all this. It's just been a fun. It's been a fun few weeks. I gotta say, um, it's definitely a crash course in understanding the lingo and the the. Uh, nomenclature of of bitcoin so um i got flooded with people taking my pictures and giving me laser eyes which was just so great i got this whole like gallery that are resurrecting playboy pictures and taking my profile picture and lasering it up so i got a nice little art gallery little digital art gallery there made for me um yeah but the memes are crazy but people like put me in memes and make memes about me being in bitcoin and i never had experienced anything like that but it's fun. I'll save them and send them to friends the, for the ones that can relate to those. So it's fun. I, will, I had no I idea how were the meme masters. Uh, we prefer the terminology meme lords, but oh, uh, meme masters is, uh, is basically the same thing, right? Yeah. See, but meme lords is, is you have to have you have to have the insider language. So thank you for that. <laughs> You'll appreciate this. I think Elon Musk was asked in a uh, New York Times or a Bloomberg article. They said, you know, uh, you're a billionaire. Uh, you also like memes. But uh, given the choice, would you rather be a billionaire or a meme lord? What would you choose? And he said meme lord, which uh, will forever uh, go down as, uh, as one of the great uh, comments, I think, in a uh, professional interview. I love how he doesn't take himself too seriously all the time. You just reach a point of success where you don't have to answer questions in the right predictable way you know i think that's why we like him so much that is very very true um before i let you go i'm gonna ask you three questions that ask everybody you'll get to ask me one at the end uh the first is what is the most important book that you've ever read most important book i've ever read um so many so many great ones what do i have i got i got my wall (laughs) oh Mm. I need a minute. Too many. Okay. Uh, oh, you know what? Um, uh, Tim, Tim Ferriss, uh, Four Hour Work Week. I would say pretty revolutionary. Yeah, for me. That, that's a that's a a great book, and uh, obviously with a lot of what you were doing before pandemic, uh, makes sense. Uh, second question is sleep schedule comes from our friends over at Eight Sleep. They've got a thermoregulated bed, which means that you can turn it really hot or really cold. Uh, and I used to sleep like five or six hours. Uh, I thought that was normal. And then I started sleeping on this thing. And now I'm like eight or nine hours, completely changed my life and a full on convert of the sleep religion. Uh, what is your sleep schedule now? And how has that transitioned over time? Yeah, um, well... I've been getting the best sleep of my life now that LA is shut down, I guess all of California, which isn't uh, super great for my, you know, hustle mentality, I guess. But um, no, it's, it's, it's been good. I can, you know, sleep like midnight to eight, you know, there's a little bit of flexibility in there, but. And and what did you used to do? You used to sleep eight hours? Uh, Well, no, I mean, especially with no day ever looked like the next one, I would just fit it in where I could and uh, early mornings with productions and late nights and a lot of Hollywood culture going till two, three in the morning and then you don't go to bed till four. And it was just really inconsistent. And then you, you know, had a whole lot to get ready for and get up early and for hair and makeup and all these things that you had to do hours before everybody else. So 
No, I'm getting a lot more sleep these days. More than I probably would like, you know, you have these messages in your unconscious buried, like if you're sleeping, if you're sleeping eight hours, you're not working hard enough, that type of thing. So there has been a, a little bit of alleviation as far as, as that goes. Um, but also I'm not missing anything. There's nothing I need to go out and do that, you know, or at least I'm not hearing about it. I, I think, uh, I think you're doing just fine with, uh, with eight hours. Uh, yeah. Last question you get asked me one is aliens. Are you a believer or a non-believer? Oh, I believe in possibility. I, I've been, I've always just been so open-minded that it was okay for me to be wrong with whatever I thought. And also my conception of if there's aliens, if there's a God, if this or that, and it doesn't change the reality of what actually is. So everybody can just have their opinion and it's fine. Right. That is a, I, I, would, uh, I would say, I would say there's probably intelligent life out there somewhere. That is a fantastic way to answer that question. And no one has ever answered it that way. So, uh, yeah. so I will take it. What, uh, what question do you have for me to, uh, to finish up? Well, um, now that I own some Bitcoin, what's next? What do I got to do? Just wait for a dip, buy some more, <laughs> keep buying Bitcoin. Everybody uh, will come in now that I bought Bitcoin and try to convince me about other altcoins and people come in and be like, no, no, don't do that. I will, you know? I will let you make your own choices, but uh, I think that uh, <laughs> what you will find is that every Bitcoiner uh, believes the same two things. They never own enough and they don't want the US dollar price to go up because they want to buy more of it. So uh, it's a very uh, interesting dynamic. But uh, now look, I think it's a, it's a game of accumulation when you have a, a finite asset uh, and just dollar cost averaging, right? You, know, you get your paycheck and uh, you just take whatever percentage, whether it's you know half a percent or some material percentage, and you just buy Bitcoin and convert the dollars into Bitcoin and, uh, and keep going, right? What um, what wallet or platforms do you recommend for me? So I, I think that uh, for you specifically, given that uh, you're coming at this from kind of a learning perspective, uh, I think it's important that you learn about all of them, right? So there's uh, uh, hardware wallets, uh, there's kind of cold storage and then uh, there's uh, there's hot storage. You can also use things um, like BlockFi to earn interest on uh, on your Bitcoin. Um, but I think that the, the key piece is less about like any one platform. I think it's much more about understanding, you know, hey, there's four or five different ways you can custody the assets and going and doing it, right? I think that's probably like if I was in your shoes uh, and kind of um, very, very early on, the thing I wish I had done way earlier than I really did was go and understand, okay, what exactly does cold storage mean? Like, how do I do it, right? Because as you go through that yeah. experience, after you do it, you learn a ton, right? And you learn so much more than if you would have just read about it online. Then same thing with uh, hardware ones, like how do I do it, right? And uh, if you wanted to get really uh, ambitious, you could even set up a Bitcoin node, right? And again, like if people online for sure, you could find folks who could help you do it, but like, Going through that process and understanding you know, how a node works and, uh, and why it's important, I think would just give you like the crash course of actually like the hands-on experience uh, that reading online, you know, just can't uh, imitate. Yeah, excellent. Well, that gives me something to do since, like I said, I've got a lot of free time right now. So, um, but I appreciate all the insights. Love watching your podcasts. For sure. Where can we send people to find you on the internet if they want to uh, to reach out or, uh, or consume some of the content? Yeah, follow me, Twitter, Instagram, Clubhouse, Jessica Vaughn. Vaughn is V-A-U-G-N.
there's no H. <laughs> but yeah, that's where you can find me. Awesome. Listen, Jessica, thank you so much for doing this. I'll have to do it again in the future. Thanks again for uh, the great introductory Zoom experience. <laughs>